On today's episode of the podcast collection, I have Joelle Reed from Perio Investigations and uh, great interview. We talked about smoke mapping and all the different types of investigations around that, uh, the cavities in residential and commercial properties and uh, the importance of really getting great a great team of investigators and uh, forensic engineers and everybody involved from the onset of an investigation uh, helps with the the planning and the cost savings and it just it's a really great interview I think you guys are going to enjoy it so sit back relax and enjoy this podcast all right it's uh, Terry Doherty I'm uh, from the OIAA and we're doing our podcast this week and it's part of the podcast collection and today we have Joelle on and Joelle you're from uh, which segment of SCM group? I'm from Perio. All right, excellent. Um, Joelle, just, I, I'm not sure if all of our listeners know who you are. Maybe you can give us a uh, first, last name and kind of some background on you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Terry. So my name is Joelle Reed. I'm a senior project manager in the environmental hygiene division with Perio. I did my undergrad at York University um, in environmental and health studies. I was a member of the varsity rugby team at York, so I was fortunate enough to have that experience while I was there. Very cool. After, Yeah, very cool. After university, I went to Seneca. I did my postgrad certificate in urban land regeneration, and that was sort of my, I guess, gateway to where I am now. Since then, I've gone on to get my fire and smoke restoration technician. I'm a certified or registered safety professional. Um, you know, safety is my, my true passion. It's at the, the forefront of everything I do um, outside of work and with Perio. Well, I know we're going to talk about uh, smoke mapping today, and that's really cool because I don't know much about it. So if I stumble through this and just ask a bunch of stupid questions, I apologize to you and to the listeners in advance, but it sounds really interesting. But before we talk about that, um, you talked about land rejuvenation, right? Uh, yeah, land regeneration. Regeneration. Now, tell me a little bit about that. I know that's not going to be our main topic today, but I, I literally just saw something on one of the news channels that there's that's a really big thing now, right now down in the States, or I think it's the same thing because of all these floods and all the hurricanes literally wiping away the land and, uh, and damaging it. Is that the same kind of stuff? Yeah, it's, it's sort of a broad program. We touched on some of that stuff. It's sort of an intro to, you know, built contamination and, you know, soil sampling, the principles of that, the principles of air sampling, um, sort of more the, the hands-on piece of it. But it, you would sort of get the technical skills that you need to go on and assist with one of the, the projects that you were just talking about. Yeah, it was really, really, I, I literally like rewound it with the whole PVR thing that you got these days and literally watched it. And it's not something I would normally do, but it really perked my interest. I was like, yeah, I guess with the, you know, the ninth hurricane coming through the bottom of the U.S., they need to do something down there. Yeah, absolutely. There's, you know, there's a lot of stuff like that going on. It's, it's interesting when it passes on your radar, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So it, smoke mapping, um, I've heard the term think I know what it is, but I'm not going to say it because I don't want to seem like, you know, uh, a complete idiot. So why don't you tell us uh, and the listeners uh, all about smoke mapping and uh, where it even comes from and how it, you know, kind of evolves. Like, I'm assuming it's coming from a fire, right? Yeah. So uh, are we talking about total loss fires? Are we talking about vehicle fires, home fires, commercial? What are we talking about? 
Um, you name it, really. It depends on sort of the end goal and what the question is, right? Lots of times we'll get unique questions from insurance companies, sort of, you know, could the fire that started in this section of, of the house actually damaged all their expensive electronics, you know, in the upstairs bedroom or oh. it's really, you know, situation specific, but smoke mapping can sort of be applied to a broad range of claims. So sort of smoke mapping, smoke migration assessment, combustion byproduct assessment, it's kind of like all terms that we would refer to this same type of thing. So like you said, this takes place after a fire event. So it's essentially the process of using science to determine how far smoke has moved in a structure. So, you know, how far did it go? Where did it go? You know, is the smoke contained to one section of the house? Is it contained to one section of the warehouse? Did it travel, you know, up the walls, through the floors in spaces we can't even see? Um, these are kind of all the questions that we're looking to answer while we do the assessment. Um, and in terms of how we go, <clears throat> excuse me, about it, we would we would attend the fire scene. Uh, we start with a visual investigation, so we'll go through room by room, area by area. We look for the visible damage. You know, we note the odors. Is there any obvious smoke patterns? Subtle particulate? Are the materials burned? Are the windows broken? You know, those those kinds of things that we're looking for first. Yeah. And and then from there we'll develop a sampling plan. Um, and so we go out, we actually collect the samples, we submit them to a third-party lab. Um, that lab plays a big role um, in how we do our work. We obviously really rely on the results we get from the lab, right? We trust those results and we, we rely on them to do our job well. Um, so once we get the results back from the lab, they'll give us a report that'll tell us in every sample that we collected, is there combustion byproducts in that sample? So is there soot, char, and ash? And how much soot, char, and ash is in that sampling location? So now I'm starting to get the picture here. So if you were closer to the fire, it should be a greater amount per parts per billion or million? I don't know how you, how do you quantify it? What's it in? Um, we get a readout in a percentage. So it'll say, you know, for example, it might say two to 5% char, 40 to 50%. So it's like, those are the types of numbers oh, okay. that we're, that we're looking at. Um, like you said, you expect to find the bulk or the worst of the damage closest to the fire origin location. So, you know, we kind of start there and work backwards. And then the mapping piece really comes in because we can take a, a diagram and we can plot our sampling points. So we can really start to see, you know, you know, the fire started here and we can see the pattern of the smoke and sort of where it moved. And it really helps us to assess the overall damage in the structure. And it helps us work with the contractor to figure out, you know, how are we going to put this thing back together? Now, are you guys doing 3D imaging of the buildings now? Um, we don't necessarily do that. Lots of the contractors we do work with do that. So we often get access to that. We kind of go through, at least myself, you know, just kind of like a, a shoot, point and shoot camera. Mm -hmm. um, but we often get some 3D data back from our from the contractors we work with. No, I was just wondering, but do you use that data then as part of your investigation? And the only reason I'm asking is it seems to be something that's new. Obviously, they're taking the video or uh, – and doing the three three D imaging and using it uh, for their scope for their building, but I thought it might be something that would be useful to say, you know, 
this wall has 45% char, this one has 30, or is that what you're doing with that information? Um, yeah, yeah, essentially that's, that's, that's generally it is we, we're trying to map out exactly what's been impacted. So, you know, we don't, like I said, use that 3D software ourselves, but it, it can be helpful for us, especially because oftentimes the contractor is on the site before we are, right? So sure. a contractor has been engaged, they've gone out, they either make a recommendation themselves that they, they would like a specialist to help out, or sometimes the adjuster will make that call. So from there, 3D images, I find the most helpful is, you know, what was in the house at the time of the fire? Was this thing here? How did that look? You know, sometimes we're not even brought in until the end. So we never get the luxury of seeing the site full of smoke. So the so contents 3D, have been removed and stuff. Exactly. And sometimes all of the, you know, floor and wall and ceiling finishes have also been removed. And it, it can be tough for us. So that, oh. that certainly is an instance where we'll rely on those, those images from the contractor. Now, does smoke have a tougher time going around if a room's got more stuff in it? And again, I, I sound like an idiot. I should have prepped on this. But again, I don't know enough or even know where to even go to ask or get this information. So it, just because you said, you know, it's sometimes you're going and stuff's been already removed. So, you know, would, is there certain surfaces that hold soot better or that, you know, smoke better than others? Or yeah, there's certainly, yeah, there's, um, there's certainly, you know, in our training courses, like I said, the fire and smoke restoration technician course that I've taken, there's certainly recommendations that they, they make for things you should clean first, things that if, you know, the soot or the contamination isn't removed right away, there's a chance that that finish might be more damaged down the line. So generally smoke fills up the room, it kind of goes straight up to the top and then from there it will settle downward it moves you know generally in in the way of moving towards things that are cold so it'll it'll kind of pull towards windows or cold pockets or doors so knowing the way it, it travels definitely helps us to to do our assessments on site oh that's very interesting so if a fire department breached the building and it's cold outside and that errors it's going to be drawn to that yeah, yeah. In principle, it, it will, to some extent, be be pulled that way. Oh, interesting. Now, do you find um, it? And and again, these are just simple questions. I'm I'm sure there's going to be somebody that's going to want to follow up with you after, and we'll get all that information out so they can reach you and talk to you in more detail. But just as a a baseline, when you go into these places, generally you're going in before they've been cleaned. Then for the most part, so you can actually do the mapping or is the mapping part, can that be done after? Um, it's certainly easiest for us and we would always recommend that we be brought in from the beginning. Okay. Um, but, you know, there's lots of times where an entire claim will happen and, you know, at the very last minute in the 11th hour, the insured, you know, they're still saying that there's issues or they're still saying that they, they smell an odor. <clears throat> Excuse me. So there are times that we get brought in right at the beginning. There's times we get brought in at the middle because there's been, you know, a concern brought up by the contractor or there can be times we're brought in at the very end to say, hey, we did a bunch of work at this house or this at this structure. Can you come and tell us if the work that was done was sufficient? Can you give a sign off on this project? So note to all adjusters, call Joelle early. <laughs> Absolutely. Things are a lot easier if you uh, you get an expert on the file at the beginning. 
I agree. I 100% agree. I don't understand what sometimes, I mean, you then you're just kind of just going around chasing your tail. You're like, oh, we should have done that at the beginning. I always think it's better. Listen, you get this claim. You know the complexities of it. Line up the people you think you're going to need right at the beginning and contact them. I mean, it's usually the first thing I do um, when I'm doing when I was doing those types of claims was I would call my experts and say, "What do you think? Where do you think you need to fit in in this plan?" So I would then, you know, and then you put your action plan together to prepare to move on, right? So, I mean, I don't know. Sometimes, yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's a pretty interesting thing to be on site with you know, a number of experts and everyone to look at, you know, the same wall, but to have such a different range of feedback, right? Like the way I see something is not the way the electrical engineer sees it or the mechanical engineer. Yeah. And they're they're there for totally different purposes. You're all looking at the same burn pattern, but you're looking at it for one aspect. They're looking at it for something different. I mean, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, I like joint investigations. I really do. Uh, I think they're really great that you have everybody and just from you know from when I was adjusting, I thought it was a great idea to have people actually all on site together um, you know because it, you may your one expert be like, "Hey, I think it's this, and the other expert goes, "No, no, man, you missed this piece over here that's why this is here, and that you know sometimes it's great i you know I think it is always best oh, absolutely. and get your experts out early. Absolutely. There's so much value. You know, you can gain so much from, you know, two hours of getting everyone in the same place and walking through. And, you know, the smoke mapping, you know, it really does guide a lot of the project, right? As an electrical engineer, you're tasked with looking at, you know, did smoke get into these areas and could these components be affected by smoke? Well, from the smoke mapping assessment, we can tell you, did smoke even get in this room? Like if I can tell you smoke didn't even get into this area of the structure, well, that's that's a whole section of the structure that now might not even have to be assessed by other parties, right? So this really can help to guide all of the experts. And you sound structural like, engi- sorry, I was going to say, you sound like you should be in there before them. Early is better. I, You know, the projects I find that go the smoothest is once the fire has happened and you've selected your contractor and you've, you know, you've had your origin and cause come. And like, I know you talked with Brandon recently. So once the evidence that that needs to be removed has been removed, it's a good idea to get an expert right from the hop. So tell me about smoke mapping from just uh, not a technical standpoint, but how long has it been around? Like, is this new science or has it been, you know, I always find it comes from the U S or, from Europe before we, we get a hold of it. But it, how long has smoke mapping been around or being used in uh, insurance? Yeah, that's a good question, actually, one that, that I'm not fully sure I know the answer on. Um, I, I started out with a, a good firm who had some great experts, and I just sort of picked this up along the way. There's actually, you know, unlike asbestos, there's no regulation or really guideline that exists right now that that mandates what you do and don't have to do on a smoke job, um, which is really interesting. But there, there is rumblings that there's going to be a document like this coming out shortly. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty keen to see what that entails and what they really recommend and how that, how we can fit into that picture. 
I'm sure somebody from NFPA is going to listen to this podcast and go, hey, we're going to make a regulation and guideline, and we're going to make it soon. Because <laughs> they, they always seem to come out with stuff and updates and stuff, so that that'll be great. So, um, so how long have you been involved in smoke mapping? Um, I've been doing this for about six years. Oh, okay. Now. Yeah. yeah. Now, now, do you find you get it more on large commercial losses, or is it residential, or is, you know, what would your split be, do you think? Um, I think right now, probably 50-50, a good amount of residential and a good amount of commercial. I would say, as a whole, fire claims have been sort of up since COVID. I've seen a major uptick in the work that I'm doing, you know, it's this industry fluctuates a lot and there could be, you know, months and months and months where all I'm doing is water damage and mold. And then, you know, you'll have months of just fire, but from COVID it's really been a push towards, you know, unfortunately a lot of fire events so, um, are happening. Yeah. So here's how I, I see this. People aren't home or at home because of COVID. This is just my personal thought on it. So they're not out driving their car. So less automobile accidents, Right. Kind of makes sense. Less people on the road, less accidents. People are home more. They're cooking. They're barbecuing. They're doing things around their house. They're lighting candles. They're just being at home more. More in home stuff. So the water damage claims that you would typically see, you know, somebody turns on a tap, they get distracted, they leave their house, and they flood their house. That's not happening right now because people are home. So it, it's funny that you say that it's, you know, it goes up and down. I'm just, in my head, I'm seeing this as those are the patterns, right? Less people on the road. So you heard, you know, like when I was watching the news, right when COVID kind of the lockdown first started, the roads were empty. And, you know, you didn't hear about, you know, 5 and 10, 15 car pileups because there wasn't that many cars on the road. Yeah, no, exactly. So, yeah, no, I guess you must be really busy. So, um, without telling us the case or who it was involved, can you talk about a specific case? Maybe talk about why you got brought into, you know, or even in general, why you typically get brought in? I know we talked about it just before we went online, and you we were talking about electronics and those kind of things. Is there is that mostly the reason why you're brought in, or can you tell us what, what adjusters and, you know, claims people are looking for, why why they would refer to smoke mapping. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the benefit of smoke mapping is with the data that we collect, we can then help to prepare a scope of work for the contractor to follow. So what needs to be removed, how the cleaning should be conducted, what we recommend, you know, should you be scrubbing the air? How do you dispose of that? How do you keep yourself safe? So that's part of what we do. And then, again, at the end, we come back in once all the work's been done and we can assess. So we're really looking to see, you know, did everything get completed for the report we prepared? Has anything been left, anything been left behind? Was the cleaning sufficient? Um, we'll go back through at that point and collect verification samples. So those samples really can be sort of the closure on, on a lot of files. Because, oh, wow. Okay. You know, there's... It's, it's not uncommon to get to the end of a file and you have an insured, you know, who's very adamant that they, they smell something, right? You get, you have an adjuster and a contractor and everybody's standing there and the adjuster and contractor can't smell anything and the insured does. And it's, you know, odor is subjective. So without, you know, a third party and using science, it can be really, really difficult to put those issues to bed. 
So do you do an um, air quality test? And I'm sorry, I hate interrupting, but it, the, the questions come to my head. And if I don't ask them, I'm going to forget. I didn't put a pen and paper out like I normally do, so I apologize. Um, so do you do an air quality test at the beginning and then one in the middle and one at the end? Or how's that done just to, to work on the air quality side of things? Yeah, we, we generally focus on swab samples. Um, you know, smoke is only suspended in the air for a certain period of time, right? And then you're seeing it on surfaces. And that's kind of what you see when you move contents out of a, a structure and you see all these staining patterns, right? Like at some point, the smoke does settle. Yep. And, you know, most firms that do this kind of work lean on the wipe samples. You can do sampling in air. Um, depending on the situation, like, again, that's just an instance where you really want to have an expert who understands why, why would you take an air sample in this instance versus why would you take a swab sample, you know, really guiding the adjusters to what should you do for closeout, um, on those types of projects. You can, you can take samples even off of content. You can get, you can get a little microvac pump and I can take samples off of clothes. So if there's a claim, you know, you've got a, you've got a twenty thousand dollar leather jacket that you think has been impacted by smoke. We can take some samples again to help decide what's going to happen on those items. And just for the record, when you say swab sample, you mean just much like you would do if you were going to a doctor and they take a swab of the inside of your mouth um, for testing. Um, yeah, that's that's exactly exactly it, it's it a, right? Yeah, that's a, it's, a, it's, not, it's not a swab that you picture with something on the end of a tip. It's, you know, like a wipe sample. You wipe the surface. It, go, you know, it goes into a bag. You change your gloves so there's no, no chance of cross-contamination to your next set of samples. And, and that's pretty much it. So it sounds like it's very time-intensive to do this because you're going from area to area, kind of developing how smoke migrated from the source of origin to its least impacted area. Is that kind of how you work or how does that, how did, how would a typical smoke um, setup work? How would you do that? Sure. Yeah. So generally we do start at the point of origin and work our way backwards. Um, like I said before, we expect to find the worst amount of the contamination closest to the source. And then we can see sort of the fire pattern. So we can see, you know, these five rooms have been impacted and then we get into a space where there's no physical damage. And then we can start to wonder about things like smoke because in a fire claim, if, if the materials are, are already damaged, we already know that we're going to have to do something with those materials, right? Like if a ceiling has collapsed, we have to take that ceiling out. So the value of taking a smoke sample in that room, you know, may not be very high because we already know that we have to do some work in that area. So the, the smoke mapping is really for the areas where there isn't a lot of physical damage and you're really wondering has this been impacted to what extent, you know, is it in the walls? Is it in the ceilings? And that again would involve creating of test cuts. We've had contractors remove sections of walls and ceilings and floors to give us access. Um, again, a lot of this comes back to how the house is constructed. So if there's there's joist pockets where the floor joist and the wall meet, well, anywhere that there's a pocket is a chance for odor and an odor source, right? So we really have to go through and try to find all of these small pockets where the smoke may have gone. And then we need to target those in our remediation because if there's anything left behind, 
despite all the cleaning and all the work you do, if you've missed a pocket of smoke and there's a, a pocket of, you know, contamination somewhere, you're, you're going to smell it. And that's, that's really the tough part is finding all of those nooks and crannies. And again, hiring a firm with expertise, you, you almost know where to go right away, right? You've, you've seen this before, you know, it's not your first rodeo and you can kind of get to the nitty gritty of it a lot quicker than, than someone who might not have that experience. Can you talk about duct work and ducting um, in a building? Be, does that play a huge part in your mapping as well? Because if maybe if the source of the fire was uh, right by the furnace or even the furnace itself, and then it's going out from the ducts as well, is that something that you guys have to bear in mind when you're doing your mapping? Yeah, absolutely. You know, migration through the ducting is, is a definite concern. And, you know, if you look at a file like uh, a furnace blowback, well, that's coming right from that that system, right? It's it's enclosed in the ducting system. So in an instance like, the, in an instance like that, it's going to travel through the ducting. It's going to blow out your grill. So you can expect to find impacts, you know, almost anywhere that there's a grill. And then you have to to take a step back and think, okay, could this been enough pressure that it's leaking out at the points where the ducting connects, you know, and that's in areas we can't actually see. Oh, so up in time, the roof spaces and joists. Yeah, oh, in, the, wow. in the ceiling cavity and in the bulkheads, right? So, you know, sometimes we have to do destructive methods just to get to to where the smoke might be. And I think, you know, this is a good a good point to mention that part of any restoration project and that includes a smoke restoration project is to first identify if there's any designated substances present in the areas affected by the fire you know so those are things like asbestos and lead and silica so for me to to remove a section of wall just to assess to see if there's smoke behind well if that wall has asbestos well i'm doing an i have to do an asbestos abatement first and that in itself has, you know, certain controls and disposal and handling measures. And contractors have to have certain training and there's follow-up sampling involved with those. So these are, again, you want to have an expert so they're not making recommendations that are going to put you into trouble. Yeah, and, and, and maybe even, you know, the claim goes from uh, sixty grand to 200000 because they didn't do a proper abatement and stuff got moved around and disturbed those kind of things i mean those I, I i remember from the adjusting days those were really really not because we didn't do smoking mapping back 20 years ago um not that i recall but uh those type of proper abatements were so critical and i think the smoke mapping would really really be essential um and i think it's a great idea i really you know again i don't adjust claims right now and but I think it's a wonderful idea. Yeah, there's, there's an incredible amount of value. Um, just to give you an example, so we we were engaged on a claim not too long ago. It had been going on for a couple of years, I think over two years at the point that we got engaged. Um, so they had a fire. They went in, they took, out, they took out a couple of rooms in terms of materials. They removed the floor. They did a bunch of cleaning. Still, there was odor concerns you know, rinse and repeat. This went on for a couple of years, back and forth, spending a bunch of money to remove, to clean. And still at the end of this, at the point that they engaged us two and a half years later, we still have an odor. 
so we were able to go in and do our do our investigation and through our sampling we actually found extensive pockets of smoke contamination in the home so this is again a, a good example of why you bring someone in at the beginning because they spent a whole lot of money and a whole lot of time on that project to get to the end and they they still didn't have a solution right and by that time the relationship between the insurance company and the <clears throat> insured is is not in a good shape, right? They've been out of their home for over two years. It's just a very difficult situation that often doesn't have a solution. And, and you know, we can come in and we can provide science and data that gives, you know, a, a real solution and, and a place to move forward from. Yeah, I can see how that would degrade pretty quickly if, you know, you're the homeowner and you're like come back in your house and you're saying these smells or whatever. And the people are like, listen, I don't smell it, but they come, you know, maybe in midday when the heater's not on or stuff like that. And if it, I'm wondering if it, even if it's stuck in a pocket on the other side of the ducting, maybe as the ducting heats up or whatever, you know, as the furnace kicks in, it then, you know, causes it to become agitated or whatever it would be or become active. And you would smell it at that point those kind of things. Yeah. Cause I mean, uh, it, it's that thing, you know, when you take your car to the mechanic, it, it never acts the way you wanted it to, to show them that the problem you're having, right. It's that, you know, I, I swear to God, it's doing this weird, funny thing. You take the mechanic, it never does that. I'm sure it's gotta be that same way sometimes before they get the expert in. Yeah, exactly. And you don't know which pocket might be the odor source, right? So it's really going in and trying to eliminate all of them. That's really the key to it is because you, you don't know which ones are going to be the ones that smell. Like you said, you could have a, something next to a ducting that's heating up or one's just sort of in a pocket that gets a lot of sunlight, you know, through your windows. You just you just don't know. Yeah. So tell me about just so for the people under, that, you know, maybe not handling property claims, talk about pockets so they kind of understand what a pocket really is. Yeah. So a pocket is essentially, I would say, a cavity in a structure. Oftentimes we, we can't even see them. They're covered by the finishes. So, you know, if you have, you know, there can be certain areas, knee walls around windows or like I said, said before, there's where the floor joists can meet can meet the wall there can be a pocket there um you know smoke smoke is difficult because unlike water you know water follows gravity it's gonna it's gonna move downward smoke doesn't doesn't have those same laws right it's really it's more like a mist you know steam it really gets in and it penetrates to everything so anywhere there's a space smoke can be in a structure and and is it caused a lot due to vapor barriers and insulation and stuff, you know, in behind the walls that's kind of trapping it at that point? Yeah, lots of times it could be that. And again, this is where we really, you know, the multidisciplinary team of experts is really helpful in this situation because, you know, I'm not a structural engineer and the information that they have about a way that a structure is assembled, you know, I rely on their knowledge to understand how smoke moves within a property, right? If we have a series of, you know, masonry block walls, I want to know from the structural engineer, is that block wall sealed at the top or is that block wall now filled with smoke? You know, and those, those are the pieces that we really rely on each other to get so it's, it's good to have a good team of people that you're working with, right? And, and I know you guys at Perio have a great team. I 
I've used you guys in the past. I've used you personally. We've talked about that prior. Um, and, and those are the kind of things, right? Because you need to have somebody that knows building envelopes and how they move and how they're constructed and the material within them and kind of like the years of construction. And I think that plays a big part too, right? So the newer homes, I mean, they're really good. They're high tech, they're efficient, but they seem to hold things much differently than an older home that, you know, has leaks and lets air through and travels. These building envelopes and these newer constructions seem to be like airtight. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, we, you know, a structural engineer can come in and, and they they know a lot just before they get to the site just by the age of it, right? They know which which version of the building code the property was built under and they can sort of from there expect to find, you know, certain materials or certain types of construction. So, yeah, and that's what I was getting at. Like the I guess if it's built between sixty and sixty nine, it's gonna have this requirement and it's gonna have that type of material. They should look to see to see those types of materials being used. And if it would be different, Joanna, again I apologize for interrupting. I'm assuming that you if you see updated material, you know that there's been updates to the building. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean that to me plays more of a role again on the designated substances side of, you know, has this 1900s structure been renovated? Is anything in here actually original? So it does play into the smoke migration piece as well. But that to me, you know, I immediately think of designated substances. So when you start to talk about major renovations and structures and was that renovation everywhere? And, you know, am I going to find, 25 different variations of plaster yeah. in a structure. I was starting to think that in my head as you were saying the age of the home being 1900s. <laughs> I was going, horsehair. There's going to be horsehair and newspaper in the walls. Yeah, absolutely. We see <laughs> we see all kinds of stuff in the walls. Yeah, I was in a beautiful gross, Yeah, I was in a beautiful mansion <laughs> one time and uh, it had been damaged by fire and uh, the contractor kept going, "Hey man, I'm we're going to open these walls up and we'll be able to read the newspaper from the early 1900s." And I'm like, "Come <laughs> on." And this was early in adjusting. He opened it up and I was like, "Oh my gosh." So I kind of <laughs> learned <laughs> I, I learned from an early kind of age of adjusting that depending on the year of the home, depending on the types of substance that they even put in behind them just for bake or for insulation right and those are things you know as adjusters I don't think we think of because you know sometimes being a TA or being even a road adjuster you're not there for the demo and for the most part you don't see that stuff but I I encourage adjusters to actually go out um, and you know be with your specialist and your you know your experts for a few of these types of fires so you can actually see what Joel and you know the Perio team are doing. I mean, I think that's really important. And you just need to be there standing in the background having your proper PPE. But I think it's a great experience so you'll actually get an understanding of, you know, when you're looking. I'm standing in my kitchen right now because of COVID and I'm looking at all the things in the house and I'm like, the stuff that's behind here, most people don't know what goes into building a house. Mm-hmm. I mean. Yeah, absolutely. So, Absolutely. And, you know, there's things you uncover too. It's, you know, homeowners do some pretty interesting renovations to their own homes, right? You you just don't know what you're going to find. You could, you know, we've, we've had projects where we've, we've had a leaky window, you know, and we've removed the, the wall around the window to find, you know, like hundreds and hundreds of bats, you know, there's just, did you say bats? 
that's yeah and that's not even you know related to smoke migration that's just on the the note of what's behind the walls and the ceilings that i can't see yikes yeah no and, and i think um and how do you feel about bringing an adjuster out on one of these claims and doing that kind of stuff is that is that something you're up for still and still doing absolutely absolutely yeah i always enjoy to have an adjuster on site it's it's incredibly valuable and it's a lot easier to walk through and explain and rather than me put together a photo log and detailed notes to say i can just say hey why don't why don't you come with me and i'll show you i'll show you exactly what i see the contractor is already here they can give their opinion on what we have to do and together you with the policy information the contractor with their expertise and and perio with our expertise on the fire side together we can put together a scope of work on the fly right and i i recently did a couple fires at schools and they'll actually send a representative from the school board who can then speak to the content which is something that myself the contractor and the adjuster can't speak to right so it's the more parties you have involved, the faster, you know, and the more streamlined this whole process is going to be. So getting back to fire mapping, because I don't want to get away from it, because I think it's really, really interesting. What other things comes into play? So you get your percentages. So you, you know, you have 21% of soot here and 20% of soot there. And you said there was a couple other things that you you typically ash. And uh, what else would you see? Um, yeah, so the combustion byproduct sampling itself is for soot, char, and ash. Soot, char, and ash. Um, Does it also yeah, but, bring up other things that you may find in the house, like that have burned? Would it give you those uh, concentrations of maybe some stuff that shouldn't be there that appear? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this specific test is just for combustion byproducts, but there are, you know, I would say it's another podcast in itself, but there are, <laughs> there are a number of other byproducts from a fire and different ways that you can go about, you know, doing those types of sampling, right? You can do sort of like PAH sampling in air, you could do wipe samples, you could do metals. Again, it really depends on the situation, um, what, what you're going to look for and why. So if you were going to give advice to adjusters about these kind of things, I, 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 th- I think maybe, maybe you can speak to it. Um, if they get a fire and they think they need, you know, and it's in a pretty extensive fire and they think they're going to have their insured out for a period of time and it's, it's not just, say, a stovetop fire, but it's a, a very large fire or a substantial fire and it's got some concerns, um, they should engage you to find out what? What would be the things that they would engage Joelle right off the bat? What what would you what what do you think you would tell them? So the first thing that I would recommend we be engaged for is is the smoke mapping. That's kind of the very first thing that we want to do. That lets us that gets us on site. We can assess the materials. We start to get a, a lay of the land and a sense of what's needed. We also can get a sense of you know, the extent of the fire. Did this thing was this thing on fire for days? did it also get you know soaked during the time that the firefighters were trying to put it out like all of these things you know impact the way that we work but we'd start out we take the samples from the sample data we put together a plan we develop a scope of work for the contractors to follow they they would go ahead and complete that work complete all the cleaning per our report and then at the at the end we go back we assess we, we verify that what they've done is correct, that they've done what, what they've 
been requested to do in the report. And then again, the last final step is those those post-debate statement samples. And that's really the piece that gives often the, the insured, that's almost always the, the only piece that gives them the confidence that this has been done right. Because the contractor is invested in doing the work, right? They're, you know, if the contractor is the person that's also verifying the contractor's work, well, they're invested to say that they did a good job, they did it right, and they're not going to poke holes in their own work. So having a third-party professional really takes away, you know, the bias that can be involved in these situations. And we, we really go in and we rely on science and it's very much a, you know, it is what it is kind of scenario. And together we just we work together with the adjuster and the contractor to to get these things put back together now when you say scope of work do you mean scope of work for all of the project or do you mean just with regards to the actual remediation of the smoke um it depends what we're tasked with really um sometimes it'll it'll be can you just give us a, a scope to remove the the designated substances that have been impacted by smoke and then maybe the contractor will go ahead and do the clean quote-unquote demo in terms of the non-hazardous materials on their own. Sometimes we'll get brought in to do the whole thing. Like I said, we've done a number of these schools recently where we have, you know, the, a structural engineer, an electrical engineer, a mechanical engineer, an environmental person. So in those instances, we're doing a full scope of what needs to be repaired under each of those specific disciplines. Yeah, and I know you guys have a full um, a full spectrum on your team at Perio there that can actually do that. You even you even have Quantify there that does the the contents as well. Like you guys are a full service shop as far as that's concerned. So when you say your scope, you I mean you put your piece together, they put their piece, the structural guy does that. So you guys provide a full package to the contractor, the insured, and the adjuster then. Absolutely, yeah. We try to be a one-stop shop. Yeah, no, no, and I and I think people appreciate that, especially because you know you guys got a great name, you got great people there, um, and it and I think it it helps, right? You've got guys like Brandon on the fire side and stuff like that, and uh, you've got your quantified guys who I quite enjoy working with as well, um, and have in the past. It's it's been really great. Um, is there anything that, you know, we're, we're getting close to the end here. I don't want to keep you forever. Um, but is there anything with regards to smoke mapping, maybe the top five things that, you know, when someone has a fire, an adjuster has a fire, they should think of when it comes to smoke mapping and why they should be contacting an expert like yourself, Joa? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, five things they want to be thinking about while they're doing these types of claims is, you know, who am I going to engage? Um, you know, even, even choosing your contractor wisely, um, is going to go a long way on, on all of your claims, right? They're the, per they're the person who, who is the face and they're the person who's there every day on, on and off for months, right? So choosing a contractor that gets along well with your insured and who takes direction well will go a long way. Again, getting an expert in early, getting that initial data. And, you know, this, this data really is invaluable because if we, get in, if we get brought into a file and all the work's been done, I can't ever tell you what was in the structure to begin with. So the $100,000 that the contractor spent, 
you know, did they have to do that work? I can't give you that answer because they've already taken everything out. All of the evidence that I could collect from the samples, that's gone. Yeah. So, so that's, you know, that can be difficult for us. So really getting someone early, getting a team together of people who know what they're doing and work well together will go, will go so far in these claims. And, and I think it would also help with maybe refuting some concerns down the road from an insured or, you know, say this, you know, God forbid, but some files do end up in litigation and, you know, it's, it's litigation prep 101, right? You already have your experts, your experts were in early, they've got reports, they're scientifically proven, they're backed, you've got the material and the data to support it, Correct. Yep, and you use you use a lab that's accredited. So even you know, the, again, I I said before the lab's very important, but to be able to rely on the lab's data means that they have to be accredited for what they do. So if you go to a you know Joe Blow lab who says they can do it for you, but they can't actually stand up in court, well, any of the data that you've collected is no longer helpful for you. Yeah, and and again, I, when you were talking about the right contractor and working with the right contractor, I mean, that's important too. And I, I sometimes, you know, when we talk about this stuff, you forget about those things. But that that's so important because I know insureds, you know, sometimes they, they want to work with the mom and pop shop that did the little reno in their kitchen or, you know, change some fixtures in their bathroom, but they're not qualified to do abatement and they're not qualified to do, most of the times they're not, they're reno guys, right? They're repair or fix guys. They're not really, you know, remediation. And that's the difference, I think, sometimes is we sometimes let insureds pick their contractor and they're entitled to, but it's sometimes at their own, you know, at their own demise. Yeah, absolutely. If you don't know that wall has asbestos in it and you tear it out and there's no, you know, verification check, you're sleeping in that bedroom with that dust that they've left behind that no one ever knew to even sample, right? You don't know what you don't know. And that's that's really the oh. danger with, with that. Oh, I like that. I may steal that from you. You don't know what you don't know. That's a That's a great one. But it, I, and again, that makes sense, though. I, I, I get what you're saying. I mean, and, and it just it comes back to those, you know, when you, or even when you're up north, right, or, or in some of these country areas where there isn't really the big contractors that we typically use, you know, your service masters, your Belfort, your first on site, all of those people, right? Like, and you are sometimes stuck with, you know, Bob's repairs. Sorry, Bob, I'm not just saying that, but I'm just saying anybody, ABC Repair Company or whoever it is. And and you get stuck with that because that's all that's available uh, at the time. I mean, I think, would you agree with me? It's more important to get an expert out to those right off the bat so you can actually say to the homeowner, hey, listen, it may take a day or two, but it's so important that we get somebody in that actually is qualified to do this reno or this remediation, I shouldn't say reno, remediation because of the things that our experts have found. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really important. And it's difficult because lots of times the insured, they've never gone through this. You know, these are, these are stressful situations, right? If you've lost your house and, you know, there's, there's things that go along with these claims that people don't often talk about, right? I mean, I don't want to go down the dark road, but people lose pets people lose their things right mm -hmm. like it's it's a very sensitive situation and you know by them wanting to bring in someone local who they've worked with before they get some comfort out of it but they're they're not aware of 
the position they're putting themselves in, right? They don't, they're not, they can't foresee the problems that we can see. Yeah. Um, and if we're engaged early, we can help to guide that whole process and help to make sure that the right people are in the right place who can actually help with the claim. Yeah, and I think that's important sometimes, and I think adjusters, we don't think about that. We can really utilize our experts like yourself, Joelle, to explain to the insured why it's important to have X or Y. I'm trying to do that now. I'm switching different letters in the alphabet. But X or Y to actually do the work because, you know, they're qualified to do it. And if it's coming from an expert and not just an adjuster who they think may be trying to get, you know, their you know, their preferred contractor to do the work. The reason we, why most insurance companies have preferred contractors, they're qualified to do the work that's needed, right? Yep. So, I mean, I think having someone like yourself out there and, uh, you know, explaining to the insured or, you know, the homeowner or whoever it is, landowner, that, listen, here, I'm going to let you speak to my expert, and my expert will tell you why it's so important to have this out there. And, you know, you can go back and you can say, listen, you've got these hazardous materials. I mean, you know, your guy can do some of the painting at the end, but I don't think he's qualified to remove asbestos. Does he have that abatement control process in yep. place? Right? Exactly. I mean, is that, is that you know, do, do you run into that a lot or is, am I just thinking too big here? Yeah, no, no, it is. It's definitely something that comes up. And, you know, the kind of workaround that I've seen on a lot of these claims is that, you know, a true remediation contractor will come in and do the remediation. And then maybe at the point, once we've gone back, we've shown that the work's been done right, it's clean, they've been restored to a pre-loss condition, and then they'll have their own contractor come back in to do the rebuild. Yeah, I mean, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, I think. But and it'll it'll stop adjusters and it'll stop the insurance company for having these issues down the road. Like if it's done right and it's repairable and you can stand behind that, here's, you know, a report from our expert who got it from a third-party lab who stands behind their science and their technology that this thing's been cleaned and all you have to do now is come in and slap up some drywall, tape, and paint. I think you're in a much better position than you are if you don't have that. You'd agree? Absolutely. The, the jobs that we, you know, I can tell the second I walk on a job site if the contractor has training, right? I can tell by the way they've cleaned. I can tell by the things they left behind. I can tell by the things they've forgotten to look at. It's, it's very evident very quickly. Yeah, I had a case one time where they were actually, it was a contract they were in and they were doing the finishes. And unfortunately, they left uh, linseed oil on the rag and then stuffed the rag in in a container and put it in the garage and ended up, you know, they, they had a water damage claim and then they ended up burning down this guy's garage at the end of it. Wow. Um, mm -hmm. And then, so now you're into this whole thing, but it was because, uh, you know, I got involved at later stages, but it was because the adjuster didn't know um, that it shouldn't be somebody, you know, t that's not qualified to do that work. Right. I mean, everybody and their mom knows don't leave linseed oil in a bucket. It's self-contaminant, you know, itself ignites mm -hmm. those kind of things right it's it's those kind of things but you know what was a reno became a claim as a result so yeah absolutely it happens quick again you just you don't know what you don't know and it's it's risky to be in a position of not knowing yeah so i was i cut you off but we're in the top five here you gave us the first one what's the second thing people should know the second tip for adjusters um 
I would say is understanding what your remedial objectives are. So, you know, combustion byproducts, they're out there in the world. It's not just, you know, it's not just a fire claim that will pick some of these things up. You know, furnaces themselves can be a source of soot. Our vehicle exhaust, you know, you go up to the cottage, you go to a fire. So understanding and again, this, this goes back to getting an expert who can help you, but understanding what the remedial objectives are. If I'm in a house where there's a wood-burning fireplace, well, we're going to all expect to find some level of combustion byproducts in that house. But does that mean the insurance adjuster should be responsible for cleaning that entire house? Oh. Or are they responsible for just remediating what's related to their loss? You know, and that's a, an, another good reason, again, to get an expert who knows what they're doing and they can evaluate this, this data in a scientific way to either, you know, delineate or, or clean up the entire, the entire loss, what, whatever it may be case specific, like I said, but. That's really interesting. Help. I never even thought of that. That just, you know, mm -hmm. we've been talking for just about an hour now and I never even thought about, you know, if they already had a wood burning fireplace, they're going to have soot in the house. Right. It, that's yeah, just, exactly. That's going to be there. Exactly. I didn't even think of that, you know, and it's probably that yep. fireplace that, you know, eventually caused the fire anyway. Yeah. I mean, we've got a, we've got a case um, ongoing uh, now where it was a, a furnace blowback, which we expect to find soot from a furnace. Again, the house has a, a fireplace and it's, it's that exact you know, condition and scenario that I explained is that we have char everywhere. We have a couple spots of soot, but we know from our expertise, we can, we can rule out what is and what isn't related, which again can go a long way and saving a ton of money and a ton of time on these projects. I, I love, I think the top two are probably the way to go with this. They're really important and they're key, but maybe you can recap, um, just provide us with some, you know, what you think um, about uh, smoke mapping and that kind of aspect of thing, maybe provide us a bit of a recap from today and then tell us how we can get in touch with Perio, but then specifically how people can get in touch with you to talk about this as well. Yeah, absolutely. So just, just a quick recap again, you know, smoke mapping takes the guesswork out of fire claims. We use, you know, real data from accredited labs to help guide us to understand where the smoke has gone which, you know, ultimately sets the stage for how are we going to remediate this site? How are we going to clean this up? What's that process? Um, again, Perio's great at getting involved. Throughout the project, we can help the contractor, you know, from the hop in figuring out what they need to do, what contents they might be able to clean, what contents they might not be able to clean. Is there value in, in going down that road? Um, and, and again, I can't say enough about the post abatement assessment having a third party come in to assess the work that's been done and again to back it up with with science will go so far in closing out your projects and you know again in the instance where you smell something and I don't smell something well how are we ever going to solve that that issue without science I, I really don't see a way around it odor so subjective and by being able to show the data points to say, hey, we, we understand your concerns. We went out, we investigated, we took samples, and you know what? It's clean, and and that can go a long way. And in terms of how you can reach Perio, I think the best way would be to, to head over to our website, 
www.perio.ca. On there at the very top, you can see our 24-7 emergency response line. So you can get, you know, you can reach Perio from Canada anywhere, anytime, any time of the day. You, you can get an expert that can help. And in terms of reaching me directly, um, if you go to the expert page at that website, again, www.perio.ca, under my name, Joelle Reed, you'll get all of my contact information, my email, um, and my phone number. And I can even send that to you, Terry, if if uh, you post that somehow. Yeah, we can post uh, it right in the caption in the link. For absolutely. The, there you go. So for, I'll get you that information then. That'd be great. Now, uh, before I let you go, you made one comment in your recap, and I just want to touch on it. You said uh, with regards to the post-abatement cleanup. So you're, you're able to quantify that. But at the same time, I just want to make sure that people understand that you shouldn't be brought in again. For people that were listening, you should be brought in at the beginning so you can give uh, where the house was or the item was at the beginning and then confirm where it is at the end, not just at the end, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I'm sorry for any confusion there. But yeah, really bringing in someone at the beginning, because if I can you know, it's, it's about showing the reduction sometimes in these projects. So if I know that this this area has 75% contamination and I come back and we're still at five, that might be a bit high and we might have some more work to do, but there's a lot to be gained in understanding that we've already had such a huge reduction. So really, yeah, we want to be brought in on these projects at the beginning, our involvement from beginning, middle to the end, really makes for a smooth process. Yeah, no, and I, know, and I wasn't saying that you didn't explain it properly. The reason I was thinking it, I was just thinking in an adjuster brain, and adjuster brain sometimes is, hey, I'm only going to bring the person in right at the end. It'll save on expenses, and I'm going to look like a great guy because I brought in this expert at the end to actually give evaluation. But it's hard to say, you know, you're, you're actually at, you know um, – 35 per I, I don't know whatever it is so whatever the percentage is right at the end but if you didn't know what the beginning was how can you quantify if you did a really good job the person did a good job to begin with right yeah exactly and if if the site's been put back together well there's a lot of areas i no longer have access to and yeah we can come in at the end and do these assessments but we have to sign off with a lot of caveats to say we didn't get to see X, Y, and Z, and our, our assessment is limited based on a number of factors. So having us there the whole way through eliminates that, and we have a lot more confidence to say, yeah, you know what? I took a look at every square inch of this place, and I'm confident that it's clean. So I think the big, big takeaway for adjusters is early involvement of your experts, and uh, just remember, you can reach them at perio.ca, right? www dot perio.ca and then track down your experts well thank you so much for being on the podcast collection today joelle i i I always enjoy talking to uh all the people over at scm group and uh especially the perio group because i i I always learn something new every time i talk to you guys and this one obviously is very new to me um, but i'm gonna take it away and try and learn some more about it so the next time we talk um i don't sound so silly (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely, Terry. Well, thanks so much for having me. Uh, thanks for chatting, and uh, I'm looking forward to the next one. 
All right, guys, thanks again for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Joelle is a really interesting person. She's got a lot of knowledge. I think you're going to enjoy this podcast. Reach out to myself or Joelle. Just kind of want to get some feedback on it. Want to have her back on again because I don't think we've covered off enough on smoke mapping and really the benefits of having a really great engineer on site early on. Um, So let me know what you think. And uh, thanks again. And thanks again to Joelle.